The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about sex, drugs, and SATs, the Scholastic Aptitude Tests, for those of you who have uh, forgotten what those are. Um, my guest today is Hannah Friedman. She's the author of Everything Sucks, Losing My Mind, and Finding Myself in a High School Quest for Cool. I love the title, Hannah. Thank Welcome you. to the show. Thank you very much. Um, what, we're going to be putting Hannah on the couch today, on Dr. Carol's couch. Um, but, you know, even though she's going to be talking about taking us behind the scenes, behind uh, what re- telling us what really goes on behind in the, in the, that you don't get to see um, in prestigious boarding schools and, and everything that um, goes on in life at approximately that age. Uh, but, you know, there are some universal themes here, and that is that Hannah's going to be talking about fit, trying her quest to fit in but which is particularly painful during adolescence, but um, and growing up even before adolescence. But you know, we really don't grow out of it. I mean, people even when they move into old age homes are still confronting the fears and and well, by the time you go into an old age home, you have all these a lifetime of memories of times when you felt awkward trying to fit in and felt that you didn't fit in and and all of that, trying to be with the cool crowd, whether it's in kindergarten or an old age home. So um, I thought we could kind of, regardless of what stage of life you're, you're in, I thought you could benefit, we could all benefit from uh, hearing about Hannah's struggles and how she uh, overcame them. So Hannah, why don't you start with, first of all, you, you grew up in rather under rather unusual circumstances, so why don't we start with that? Uh, sure. <clears throat> my father was a musician, and he pulled my brother and I out of school to live on a tour bus uh, with a bunch of hippie musicians, and so that was uh, that was not the the fastest way to find friends my own age. Um, and I also grew up with a monkey as an older sister. Well, now, how old were you when you were pulled out of school? I was in sixth grade. And um, well, didn't all your friends think that that was cool that you were going to go on this? Tour bus? Um, no, they didn't think it was cool. I think that they were, I don't know, maybe maybe a little bit jealous um, that I was getting out of lots of the required work for the rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I returned, it was just really culture shock because so much had happened without me, and the middle school years are so torturous. <laughs> People well, are just really mean. So, well, how um, long were you on the tour bus? 
Um, about a year. Uh-huh. And uh, it's interesting. I can tell by um, what, what I read that was written about you, and even now, you're, you're like purposely not mentioning who your father is because is it because you don't want to, you want to sort of make it on your own and you don't want to trade on being the <laughs> daughter of whoever he is? Um, oh, well, I mean, I, I, I'm not, like, uh, embarrassed by who he is. Uh, his name is Dean, and he ha- had some hits here in the 70s, uh, and he has a really big following in the U.K. Um, what, were some of the, what, I, what were some of the hits? His big song was called Ariel. It was uh-huh. a hit in the 70s. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and so, yeah, so I had a very unusual experience growing up in the tour bus, and I think I um, had a lot of adult responsibilities quicker than... Other people my age, I was in charge of the merchandising and uh, making sure that that all, you know all the CDs and all the merchandise were in the, in in order and the, and the sales and the net and the gross and the mailing list. So wow, I was very busy and you were like you were like twelve. Yes. <laughs> well, that's yes, that is growing up. Uh... Fast, okay. And now, what is the? How did? You, okay, a monkey for an older sister. Tell us about that. Amelia um, is a South American monkey. She's a capuchin monkey. And my mother was working. She was training monkeys as aides for quadriplegics. Huh. Um, and Amelia had been confiscated from customs in California. And so she flew out and she picked up Amelia. And uh, Amelia was very ill. And my mom called my dad, who was on tour at the time, and she said, I'm taking home this monkey for the weekend just to give her a nice place um, before she dies. And that was about 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, a 30-year-old monkey. Hmm. Uh, More than that, because she was a full adult when my mom got her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh, wow. Your mom must have taken really good care of her. Or (laughs) or, Or was that your job, too? Um, yeah, it's been all of our jobs. I mean, the family inside joke is that she's been sucking the life out of all of the other animals because she has outlived many dogs and fish and cats and birds. <laughs> oh, wow. So um, did you have sibling rivalry with this monkey? Uh, I believe that I did. Yes, I did. yes. I think I'll be in therapy about it for a long time to come. <laughs> yes, yeah, she was getting all this attention. Yes. <laughs> So, um, okay, so tell us, so now we're in, in junior high school and you, or middle school, and now, um, well, let's just go back a minute. How, how old are you now? I will be 23 this week. Okay, and when did you write this book? I wrote it uh, this past year, so okay. I was 22. And um, what was the, before we go back to your life, what was the purpose of writing this book? Um, the purpose of writing this book was to write a book that I wish I had been able to read when I was going through these experiences. Mm. This book did not exist for me, and so I wrote it. Mm, yes. Okay, well then, so let's go. So was, was life um, pretty okay before sixth grade, before you got pulled? <laughs> um, I think... I think I always knew my family was a little bit weird, and I think that everyone feels that way. Everyone feels like they're the only ones who uh, who feel like they, they have never fit in and that they're always a little bit kind of on the outskirts of the in-crowd. Um, so that's another reason why I wrote the book. Uh, the dedication on the inside is to my parents, um, for everyone who felt like they would never fit in, and for my parents who taught me that it's just more fun not to. Mm, I like that. 
Yes, and and apparently, um, I don't know what grades what grades were there when your your father drove you to school in a shoe. <laughs> um, he's a very creative person, and he we, we all uh, helped and we crafted a, a shoe car. And I guess I was around sixth grade, also. So before you went on the tour, correct. <laughs> and and okay, and how did that make you feel um, being driven to school in a shoe? Was that like special good, or, or <laughs> what kind of reactions did you get? Uh, well, I talk about it in Everything Sucks. I talk about it in the book. Um, I was very excited initially because we did it as a big family project, and I was uh, proud of it. And it, you know, it was very creative and unique, and. I did not realize until I arrived at school that that was, would not be the reception that I received. Um, so people were a little bit nastier than I, than I expected when you stand out. I think that's sometimes the case. Yes. Now, was this a, um, was your elementary school a private school or a public school? It was a public school. Um, I've actually been to public school and private school and holistic hands-on learning centers and, um, and I've been homeschooled, so that, that's another reason I, I wanted to write the book. I really wanted to share my experiences in different educational environments. Mm. So at that point, you were in a public school, and, and, um, and the kids just kind of thought you were weird. Yes. Was there any kind of, um, was it at that time in your life, were, did they think that you were um, poor, I mean, relatively poor compared to them, or was that part of it that, like, you had to <laughs> come to school in a shoe? <laughs> or, or um, was, yeah, I mean, we were never the wealthiest family on the block, so I think that that was part of it. Also, when I came back from being homeschooled, when I was homeschooled, I got to go at my own pace and uh, really research whatever I was interested in and go off on tangents, and I was really passionate. Um, about my studies, and when I came back, I discovered very quickly that that is not the way to make friends, <laughs> to oh, be waving uh-huh. your arm around every time the teacher asks a question. Huh. And, and so what grade, was that when you were on tour that you were homeschooled? I was homeschooled on tour, and then I returned. Um, I returned to middle school, and people were mean. But I think that most people are mean in middle school. <laughs> now, why do you think that that is? Why do I think that that is? Um, well, I think that everyone is really insecure in middle school, um, and one way to make yourself feel better is to make other people feel worse. Um, you know, and hormones are raging, and nobody is very polite. I, I, I don't know. It's just I think it's universally a pretty terrible time. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that's a good point. You know, that that yes, everybody's. Because everybody feels on shaky ground, they can sort of raise themselves up by making you feel bad. Mm-hmm. And so you came back in seventh grade or eighth grade? Uh, yeah, that's right. And was that, was that a private school or a public school? So uh, I was homeschooled, and then I uh, came back to my public school, and I had a very negative experience, and my mother decided that we were going to apply for private schools, and I got a scholarship to a very prestigious private school for high school, and that's, uh, that's, where, I, that's where I matriculated. Uh-huh. And that's where, um, so that's the board, that was a boarding school. Correct. <laughs> and how did you feel, it, well, where did your parents, did they go somewhere while you were in boarding school? Did they go somewhere? What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, 
were they tr- were they on tour again, or why did you go to a boarding school instead of let's just say a, a regular private? Um, it was half boarding, half day. So, and I actually did. I was uh, a day student. I traveled for the first two years, and then the second two years I lived at school because the commute was very, very long and arduous. Especially in a shoe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Well, I want you to, um, we're, I, we're coming up to a break, but I, when we come back, I would like you to, to talk about what, what does go on in, inside or what went on. This was in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what went on in your school. I mean, I've certainly watched, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners have, uh, Gossip Girl. And um, now that isn't that isn't a boarding school, but it's a private school, and I'm sure that the it's very similar as far as uh, as far as some of the things that go on there. Um, and we will get into that when we come back from this break. <laughs> My guest is Hannah Friedman. She's the author of a new book called Everything Sucks: Losing My Mind and Finding Myself in a High School Quest for Cool. And we'll hear about that, how she did that, when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST 
4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Hannah Friedman. We're talking about, well, we're going to be talking about sex, drugs, and SATs. She's the author of a new book called Everything Sucks, Losing My Mind and Finding Myself in a High School Quest for Cool. And um, so, so, Hannah, why don't you get into it, like how you lost your mind? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I went to the creme de la creme prep school, and it was, it, it was very confusing because... The people who I wanted to be like, I mean, it, it was it was so out of my reach. The the their clothes, their vacations, their um, their cars, everything about their life was just kind of larger than life, and it was very difficult to aspire to that um, to that to to that level of aesthetic perfection and um, and and economic prosperity. Uh huh. And. <laughs> and um, and so feel- I set out to really make myself popular, and I did a whole overhaul, and I I changed my clothes, and I changed the way that I talked, and um, and I changed my body very drastically. I started just crash dieting because um, I wanted to, because that I thought I really did think that responsible, smart, cosmopolitan women had to be on crazy dieting regimes. That's what I saw in Sex and the City. That's what I thought that that's what I thought was the way to to do it. So, that's what I did. So, how much did you weigh originally and what did you get down to? Um, I don't like talking about numbers because when I was in that mindset, I would look at other people's stories and I would say, "Oh my gosh, she she called herself fat at, you know, 100 and whatever pounds and I'm I'm that, so I must be fat." Uh-huh. So I tried very carefully in the book to stay away from anything that could uh could be construed as oh. like a tip. Um and what I really wanted to focus on was something that I hadn't seen in a lot of other books, which is that you you're allowed to love your body. Um, I had no idea when I went into college when I when I decided that this was a huge problem that was consuming my entire life. My therapist said, "You're allowed to feel good about yourself. You don't have to be, you know, changing every little thing at every moment." And that doesn't sound hugely revolutionary, but to me, um, coming from where where this world where if you're not with a personal Pilates instructor four times a week, uh-huh. you're a lazy slob. Um, that was really, that was a big deal to me. Well, so. tell us about that. What kind of lifestyle did these people have, your classmates? 
Um, I mean, you know, I don't want to generalize, but a lot, a lot of them had private uh, personal trainers. Uh, they all got electrolysis. Lots of uh, vacations to private islands and um, and. You know, all, all the things that you see on those ridiculous TV shows I, I saw at my school. And did they have, like, chauffeurs picking them up, drivers? There were some, yeah, there were definitely some, uh, some, some, hired, some hired drivers and personal chefs, things like that. Uh-huh. Um, so it really makes you feel like you're not good enough. That was such a defining quality of my high school experience. I wasn't... I wasn't good enough. I didn't look good enough. I wasn't smart enough. Um, And then when the college application process rolled around, I mean, not only was I comparing myself to these beautiful, very wealthy people at my school, but, I mean, the top of every school in the entire world, all of a sudden I was expected to compete with those people, and it was just exhausting emotionally. And so um, now did you go home and did you talk did you talk to anyone about this? Did you tell your parents? I mean, did you get into fights with your parents? Like, why aren't, you know, why aren't they getting you a personal trainer <laughs> or why? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I knew that my, my dad was an artist and I respected that when I was younger. I thought it was really neat. And then when I was in high school and saw, you know, the kids of these real estate moguls who had, like you know their their own apartments in New York City, I got very frustrated with my family um and so there was a lot of tension because I felt like you know how come we don't have all these things don't you know aren't we don't we deserve just as much as they have um and I'm sure I was pretty surly as a teenager, so yeah, there was definitely tension and what how did they respond? How did they respond well. My dad is very zen. You know, he would explain to me his his pursuits and, and, you know, why he was proud to be an artist, even though he wasn't, like, a millionaire. Um, and I'm sure my mom and I just screamed at each other. That was kind of how we communicated <laughs> when I was 15. And, well, was your mother, um, during those years, was your mother still working as an animal trainer? Uh, my mom went to school to become a nurse, and... When I was in high school, I was annoyed about that, too, um, because all my friends' parents were doctors, and I, I just didn't understand. I didn't understand why things were different for us. And, you know, now I'm very, very proud of her. And, um, and I can look back and see what I didn't see when I first started the school, which is that all those people with their glittering, beautiful lives have problems, and lots of them, just like anybody else. Um, so in, in Everything Sucks, I, uh, I talk about one, this very kind of gossip girl-esque um, beautiful birthday party that I attend, and then I go back the next year, and I'm similarly awed by, you know, the amazing decorations, the amazing cake, and the amazing everything, but I see the second time around the family dynamic, and it's really screwed up. Uh-huh. Um, and and you when you were you were starting to talk about your weight and about um I mean you developed an eating disorder. That's right. So tell us about that. Um I thought that if I wasn't binging and purging every ten minutes or if I wasn't seventy pounds, that I obviously didn't have a problem. I thought I didn't even deserve to call myself you know, an anorexic or a bulimic because I, did, I, I didn't 
prescribed to any of those behaviors exclusively. I thought I was just lazy, and so I would diet, crash diet, crazy diet. I would decide, like, you know, from now on I'm eating an apple a day. And then, of course, my body would rebel and would be hungry, and I would eat until the point of where I was full, and I would feel really disgusting, and I would go overboard, and then the cycle would repeat itself. Um, And there's not... I mean, I mean, there's not a lot of literature about the different types of eating disorders there are. Like, you can have disordered thinking about food and not be anorexic or bulimic or a binge eater. It, it's just an obsession. Um, and I would think about it the first thing I woke up. What am I going to eat today? What did I eat last night? You know, can I have breakfast? Am I too full? Am I too fat? Every social gathering, if it was a wedding or a birthday or a cocktail hour, I was always, you know, very concerned about what what kind of food was going to be there and should I eat beforehand and am I, you know, have I already ruined my diet for the week so I'm just going to go crazy. And it became absolutely consuming. I mean, it really ate up like seven years of my life. And so if I can save one person from having to to go through that, that then my my job with the book is, is done. Well, did you find as you were, I mean, I presume during this time you did lose some weight. Uh, sure. I mean, I lost weight and gained weight. It was just off and on. Well, did, did you find that your popularity um, increased as you got thinner or it really didn't have any impact? Hmm. I was so all over the place. I mean, I really did an overhaul on everything, uh, especially on my clothes. So, yeah, I became more popular when I started when I started to diet, when I started to look for knockoff designer handbags to match all of my friends' real ones. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that really catapulted me into social acceptance. And then once I was there, I realized how hard the people who are popular are struggling all the time just to maintain that status. You know, it's not this effortless, fun thing. It's, uh, it's really exhausting. You mean it's not that once you get into the in crowd that you're guaranteed staying there till the end. You have to keep sort of um, struggling to maintain your place in the group. Correct. And and the group, I mean, that's really the operative word because um, they weren't very different. I mean, everybody called each other before an event to make sure that they were wearing the same thing. And... Everyone wanted to apply to the same college, and everyone, you know, that they wanted to get the same high grades. It was very conformist, um, and the dieting really went along with that. I mean, I, I just totally was hypnotized by these these girls who just talked about the laxatives and the, you know, superfoods, and I, I, I just thought that that was the way that you were supposed to live once you were an adult. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, a sort of a club that that you were all doing this these crazy kinds of diets. Yeah, I mean, and so you realize that some of them were doing were binging and purging as well. Absolutely, um, binging and purging, or just like so much calorie restriction and obsession and calorie counting that um, that all of us knew before without a second glance how many calories were on our lunch trays. <laughs> We were doing more mathematics for, you know, for eating than we were for algebra. <laughs> well, it's funny, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not really funny when you're going through it. Um, well, tell us about the peer pressure. Oh, we're going to be cut off in it by, a, by a 
break here. But, okay. But, but, but that, that's okay because I'll leave it on this cliffhanger. I want you to tell us about this, the pressure, um, the peer pressure regarding sex and drugs sure. when we come back. So I'm sure you'll all stay tuned for this, sex and drugs, yes. <laughs> You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Hannah Friedman. Her book is Everything Sucks, Losing My Mind and Finding Myself in a High School Quest for Cool. So stay tuned. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Hannah Friedman. She's the author of Everything Sucks, Losing My Mind and Finding Myself in a High School Quest for Cool. We've been hearing uh, her tell us about that. And the, today's show is called Sex, Drugs, and SATs. 
So we're going to get to the sex and drugs and SADs. <laughs> so tell us about the peer pressure and what goes on. There's a lot of a lot of sexual stuff that goes on in um, in boarding schools. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. Um, I was a student of Dare, the drug program, which yeah. taught basically one thing, and it was that drugs are bad, bad, bad. <clears throat> and so when uh, my boyfriend at the time and his friends were smoking pot, uh, I was very nervous about that. And so I started to do some research because they didn't seem like hoodlums. You know, they didn't seem like they were they were going crazy and going into murderous rages. They were just kind of giggling and eating Cheetos. So <laughs> I did some research. Um, and I found some very surprising things. And I was um, I was confused because... Because I I learned that um, in in terms of health, cannabis is less addictive and less dangerous than uh, alcohol and tobacco. And so I I started to question all the things that I had learned. Um, And that's another another thing that I like to address in the book is that parents and teachers should be as honest as possible with teenagers because if you gloss over some of the truth, then they start to question everything that you've ever told them. So I did lots of experimentation, um, some good and some bad, and I really try not to moralize it in the book and everything sucks because, uh, I mean, because I don't think it's a, it's a moral issue. I think it, um, I think it can have a dangerous outcome, and I talk about that uh, very frankly in, in, in one of my chapters where a friend of mine um, actually passes away. Hmm. From using what? Um, I, well, you have to read the book to find out. Um, but it, but it's it, 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 what is implied is it is kind of tragic circumstances. Um, and but yeah, there there is a lot of drugs at boarding school. One of the most um, interesting things I think about drugs at boarding school, a lot of them are performance enhancing drugs. So like Adderall, there was a huge black market for Ritalin for ADHD attention drugs, um, and it would go up to like $8 a pill during finals, and so people who were diagnosed with ADHD became really high status in the dormitory because you could get, you know, you could get these pills from them, and it was totally normal for people to be pulling all-nighters, for people to be pulling out their hair just on the edge of their seat, teeth chattering, drugged up pretty much on... um, on on these these prescription drugs uh, just to finish papers to, to, in order to get good grades in order to get into college it was it was all fueled by this hysteria about you know this your future and and where are you going with your life yes and of course I, I, and people use that to lose weight too yes absolutely true so you can you can study and lose weight at the same time. Yeah, um, and I actually talked about one of my friends who was an artist, and she was diagnosed with ADHD. And within a semester, she dropped like thirty pounds. She stopped socializing in the common room. She stopped painting. She just kind of became a shell of herself. Um, but she looked, you know, really sexy in jeans. So everyone thought she was okay. Yes, it's very. They they can become. They're very addicting and very dangerous. Absolutely. It's you know it seems like a good thing for the moment, but it's it's it is really da- they are really dangerous drugs. 
Um, okay, and so you had a boyfriend. So what about sex? <laughs> sex. Um, so, you know, going back to being really honest and open, I had never read um, an honest account of sexual experimentation with teenagers. You know, in the things like Gossip Girl, it seems like everyone is just so poised and graceful and everything happens, you know, in beautiful moonlight romantic candles and um, and there's great music. But really, sex is awkward and very confusing. And so I wanted to convey that because I felt so... Um, so alone in my experience, I, I really want other other people not to feel that way. Yes. Um, so I have I have some pretty funny scenes about uh, about my my sexual experimentation in the book, and about communication, communicating with your partner, and um, and not making it into this big scary. Um, taboo thing so that people get confused and people can get hurt. I think it's really important to have open communication. So, Well, did you feel that you were pushed into having sex, into having sexual intercourse sooner than you would have wanted to? Um, no, I was ready. I, I really think that I was because I was, in, I was in love. I was in a committed relationship and... Um, and yeah, so I didn't feel too much too much peer pressure about the sex um, or the the drugs. Really, um, there was a girl who I really idolized who allegedly did a lot of cocaine, and so I was very um, entranced by that. But it was ne- she never said like, "Hey, you have to come over and snort some cocaine with me." She never <laughs> um, she never pressured me that way. It was all it was all a lot subtler, and I think that these days it often is. Um, because you can watch Gossip Girl and read Cosmopolitan, and those people aren't talking to you. They're not peer pressuring you, but it, it can still, like, the messages are still very real, whether or not, you know, someone is standing in front of you saying, you have to do this or you won't be cool. I mean, I think the messages are communicated anyway. Yes, and and that it's sort of assumed that if you want to be in the cool crowd, I mean, that the cool people did all these things. So, So you're saying that it's not that they... That they were watching you or saying overtly, you better do it, but you got the message that if you wanted to stick with them, like we were talking about, to stay in the in-crowd, um, that those are the things that you had to do. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I, I think that's the exact same thing with dieting. You know, you read every time you pick up a magazine in the grocery store, it's like, you know, how to get a bikini body, how to drop 10 pounds, how to how to do this and that with your weight. And so, you know, the magazines aren't telling you you have to lose weight, but it just seems, especially to an impressionable teenager, like that is the thing that you have to do to be to be beautiful and to be responsible. Now, um you another thing that you know sex drugs and SATs and you were starting to allude to this um the pressure as you got to be in your what junior and senior year to uh to get into a good school meaning an Ivy League school yeah the pressure was unbelievable and i've never really experienced anything like it since and it's kind of a shame that it has to happen to 17 year olds because they're totally unequipped to deal with someone saying, if you do not do inhumanly well on this test, just unbelievably well on this test and every subsequent test for the entire year, if you don't have a gallery of your paintings in Manhattan, if you are not a junior Olympic swimmer, if you're not a science prize winner, 
a chess champion, then your entire life is at stake. You're not going to get into your dream college, and if you don't get into your dream college, your life is pretty much over. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, I mean, especially in private school, that, that really is the, is the mentality. Um, it's really Ivy League or die, um, or at least that's what I experienced. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Hold on. That's okay. Um, and so, and and so, in order to, and so, the competition became fierce. Absolutely, very, very fierce. And what were some of the things that your so-called friends <laughs> did? People were competing for teacher recommendations, screaming at each other in the hallways. Um, allegedly, you know, pieces of material for class were went missing because you start to see your fellow classmates as competitors. They're not going to let everyone into Harvard. Um, and it became really, I, I mean, I just felt like nobody. I, you know, if you don't have a perfect SAT score, if you're not this unbelievable resume, if you're just a regular teenager who doesn't really know what they want to do yet, the college process just makes you feel horrible. Um, and some of the things that I was competing against, I mean, there are services which have been used by people at my school where you pay $30,000 to get into an Ivy League school or your money back. What? <laughs> well, how do they how do they do this? I mean, you, I mean, know, you craft the, you the resume, the you have to go to them early in the high school career, but they make sure that your interviews are perfect and that your essays are perfect. I mean, they basically turn you into Ivy League material on paper. Hmm. Well, that's, and, and a lot of people did that. Um, yeah, people, people definitely did that. And, you know, there were people were personal friends with senators and people were friends with deans and, you know, all the, all the stuff that you would, that you would imagine, you know, in a, in a high stakes, uh, competitive atmosphere. There were a lot of people who had an upper hand and I felt like I didn't, so I had to work that much harder just to break even. And people who had parents or grandparents who were alumni. Exactly. And who were on the board or who donated libraries, that kind of thing. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, it's very, very difficult to compete with that. Um, and, you know, the, and the SATs, uh, the, the, if the title is Sex, Drugs, and SATs, I mean, people spent so many thousands of dollars and so many thousands of hours uh, in weekend courses prepping for these SATs. So, you know, while it's supposed to be about aptitude, really it's about financial clout because if you have – $10,000 to drop on SAT prep courses, then you have a huge upper hand mm-hmm. over people who've never seen the test before and can't afford that sort of preparation. So it was, it was a very um, unfair uh, application landscape, and I felt that a huge disadvantage. And you know, I think everyone does. You know, it's interesting, though, because when you started there, you felt it at a huge disadvantage because of what you were talking about, clothes and um, the money that the people had and, and the lifestyle and so on. And then it seems like you got to be eventually in the in crowd. And then when you had to apply to college, it was like going back to square one. Um, yeah, yeah, there was definitely an element of that. I definitely felt... Uh... Where money yeah. again started to, to play a bigger role and you felt more at a disadvantage. When we come back, we'll hear more from Hannah Friedman, the author of Everything Sucks. 
we're talking about sex, drugs, and SATs. <laughs> and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america son we gotta talk about drinking i know I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you about sex, drugs, and SATs with my guest, Hannah Friedman, the author of Everything Sucks, Losing My Mind and Finding Myself in a High School Quest 
super cool. And uh, sort of flash-forwarding a little bit, um, Hannah got into a, she did make it into an Ivy League school, um, which you attribute to mainly what, since it wasn't the 30000 or the 10000 <laughs> buying your way in. Um, well, you know, I studied. I studied really hard in school. I worked very, very hard. And so you got good grades and good SATs. And and before I left for Yale, I published an article in Newsweek. I was one of the youngest people ever to be published. Um, I was 17, and it was all about the college application process and how it sucked and how it turned teenagers into these, like, crazed pill-addicted Looney Tunes, just totally um, off the wall and so anxious and, um, and kind of at each other's throats. And people were really, really unhappy about it, and administration kind of ganged up on me, and they spread a really terrible rumor about my boyfriend and myself. What? Um, which well, you can read about in the book. Well, Very salacious. <laughs> the article came out when, relatively to when you started going to Yale? Uh, in April. It came out the April right before I matriculated. So who spread the rumor? At Yale or at your private high at school? At my private school. Um, and I was almost not allowed to attend because they said that the the degree of the allegations it, that you know it, it could call for suspension or expulsion, and both of those things would have really jeopardized um, my acceptance. Would have called for suspension or expulsion from the high school. That's right, and, and it would and have gone on my permanent have... record, and then um, then the college could have reconsidered. Wow. So basically, your classmates were incredibly jealous that you got an article published in Newsweek. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to incur any more damages <laughs> by confirming that, but yeah, I mean, um, okay. people were not happy. Well, people were really not happy about the article. Well, yeah, and I guess the fact that, yes, and I guess the fact that you were talking about this, this them spending all this money on SAT preps and all of that, I guess, was part of it, too. Um, I mean, what you were saying that people were doing in the had to do in high school. Right. I read the article. It's a great article. Um, I will be giving out Hannah's uh, website at the end, and I recommend um, that you all go and look at it and read it and, of course, buy the book there. Um, so, okay, so how did you get yourself out of this mess? Hmm. I went to school, to college. I went to Yale, which was like utopia, I thought. It was going to be the perfect school because that's what everybody said. Um, and surprise, surprise, it was not. It was really great for some things, and it was really awful for other things, um, just like any other institution. And I realized uh, pretty quickly that the Ivy League is a designer brand, and it can be really high quality, but that doesn't mean that it's categorically different from other types of education. It just has a fancier name. So that was kind of a big shock, and I uh, started to kind of take toll of, what, uh, or take stock rather, of like what I was doing with my life. I was just a machine, a memorization machine. That's how I got into Yale. Yeah. It wasn't because I was an artist who was really true to my own voice. It wasn't because I was taking chances. It was because I was really good at following rules and taking tests. Yes. And I realized I didn't want to do that with the rest of my life. And so, um, so I started going to therapy, first of all, um, and I really tried to get a, a handle on on what I 
realized uh, was was an eating disorder, even though I wasn't purging all the time, even though I wasn't 70 pounds. It had become so... It, it, it had just become my entire life. And once I started to address that, um, I started picking up musical instruments again without beating myself up for sucking and not being good enough. I started writing more. Um, this project has been really cathartic because I don't think I could have written it had I not um, gone gone into treatment and really started thinking about my my choices and like how you know whether whether or not I was happy and how I could make myself happy. And what did you major in when you went to Yale? Uh, I, my, I wrote my thesis in playwriting. So, so you were a theater major or a writing major? Uh, theater studies. Uh huh. And um, so and and so and you were graduated when? I graduated in two thousand eight. Okay. And so what? Um, and did you you started this book while you were still in school, or just when you got out? Just when I got out, I got the I, I signed the contract when I was right when I was graduating, and then I started. Um, my family and I went on a tour, a music tour, family band reunited, and uh, and I re- started writing a book on tour. Oh wow! So you you were part of. Um, I mean, were you, did, were you part of the family? Was it a family band when you were in sixth grade? I participated in the band, but not as uh, as much as I as I did this time around. And you play guitar, guitar and saxophone. Uh huh. Um, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, what do you plan to do with her? <laughs> um, what do I plan to do? I want to do everything. I'm just I'm so I'm so passionate about writing and about uh, film. I'm actually at the New York Television Festival this week. My my screenplay was nominated for. Uh, a prize, which I'm very excited about. And I've been doing stuff on YouTube, which is such an amazing uh, thing, such an amazing creative vehicle, because I've been able to collaborate with people all around the world. I did the largest female video collaboration ever with 40 women from Japan to Kuwait, so I've been working on that. Huh. Um, you mean playing, all Pardon? playing instruments or what? Pardon? All playing instruments? Um, they're all... They're all Singing and participating in the in the video, yeah, and some of them are playing instruments. Uh huh. And another book is is on the way, so keep an eye out. And do you want to give us a hint as to the second to the topic of the second book? Yes, yes. Uh, it is about the history of education. It's about the Ivy League mythology, and it's about <laughs> all of the. Uh, all of the crazy things that you never thought to consider about where, about why we learn the way that we learn and why it's wrong. Well, that sounds interesting. So this is good. Every time you get out of an environment, <laughs> actually, you, you didn't even wait with the Newsweek article. <laughs> That's, I guess you learned your lesson, though. But when um, you get yes, out of an environment, then you, you very feel I'm going to be forever like, writing about the past four years of my life. Yes. Well, I'm sure that'll be very interesting because... Um, <laughs> Because people are curious about what goes on in those hallowed halls, just exactly. like they are in uh, in boarding school. Well, okay, I hear the music. <laughs> I get it. It's time for us to say goodbye. Thank you. Well, first of all, let me give out Hannah's website. It's hannahfriedman.com, and that's H-A-N-N-A-H, Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, hannahfriedman.com. 
The book, again, is Everything Sucks, Losing My Mind and Finding Myself in a High School Quest for Cool. You can buy the book from her website. You can also buy it in the usual places, um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever books are sold. <laughs> and, Hannah, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very and welcome. Thank I, you for having me. And definitely check out the book. I got a review from a 97-year-old man the other day. It's not just for teenagers. <laughs> yes. It's for anybody who's ever, as I started the show, anybody who's ever wondered about fitting in and gone through the agony. Yes, yes, indeed. So Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you all for listening. I hope uh, I hope this has helped you uh, get a little more insight into the whole process of fitting in, and really it's about finding yourself. So thanks for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.